0: You can probably hear in the background the sound of traffic, dogs barking, the occasional crack that we hope is a firework, not a gunshot, and it's because we are in San Salvador. We've been in El Salvador for 10 days, and we didn't talk about it on our first day in Bitcoin Beach when we recorded our episode, because I wanted to sort of let it settle, kind of have an impression and not just give a hot take, especially at
1: that time when I was rather sick. My take might have been a little more pessimistic.
0: It would not have been fair and balanced, I think.
1: (laughs) I wasn't feeling very good. And we hadn't experienced the full flavor. El Zante is, you know, it's out there in the country. It is not like San Salvador. It's a very different vibe here in San Salvador.
0: And to be frank, as a tourist, if you go to El Zante, there are two reasons to go where you'll feel like you got your money's worth. If you want to go and surf and surf some sick waves, El Zante is (laughs) great. Yep, yep. If you want to experience a Bitcoin community, El Zante is great. Yeah. Aside from that, it's frankly overpriced, I think, for what you get. At I least mean, the hotel rooms. Yeah, but if you go by the, the price in the States, it's still a good deal. Right. It's a good deal f- compared to a yeah. a hotel room anywhere in the States. But it's it's tourist-priced for... El Salvador. And it's very basic. I think that El Zante has definitely played Bitcoin the right way. They used it to become an international name. Their roads are being paved for the first time right now. So that's, on the one hand, a measure of how low the level of development is. Temper your expectations. Do not drink the water. On the other hand, you can see that they're definitely experiencing benefits, yeah. likely due to the tourism associated with Bitcoin.
1: I mean, it's not just the roads. The whole place is a construction project. You know, They're fixing Buildings that look like they haven't been touched in 30 years. They're laying down infrastructure to improve some of the internet performance. I mean, that's that's good to see. It's in a year or two, it's going to be a different town. If the as long as this kind of tourism money keeps flowing in.
0: But if you are a bitcoiner and you bring your family, frankly, I would not recommend it because the El Zante Beach is a freaking death trap. There's no way getting around it. We had two near misses with your son. I mean. I went on the beach once, sprained my ankle. That was also due to your son.
1: But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, he's a lot to keep up with, that's for sure. I could see if you just love the ocean, and you didn't want to get in it and you wanted a nice chill hotel to stay at that is going to pamper you a little bit and you get to just hang and spend it, spend your sats. Yeah, it's not you're not going to go do a little swim and there's not a lot of services. So when I did get sick, you know, we we couldn't really even get like pepto bismol. It was hard to get our hands on just the basics and to do it you have to network you have to know somebody who knows somebody who can then call somebody to go get a car and grab something for you from someplace
0: right and that's very kind of third world budget yeah vacation so plan accordingly yeah i mean you your money goes further and the people are really nice i mean I
1: know it's cliche to say but everybody was very helpful and very nice
0: and actually just a, an anecdote i was walking on the side of a highway Because I was getting you some medicine at the pharmacy and some guys pull up and my thought is, oh, man, am I getting kidnapped? Did I did I do something dumb? But instead they were, hey, what's going on? You you going somewhere like what? You you know, and I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to the pharmacia. I need to get some medicine. They're like, oh, what do you need? And they went and they got everything I asked for with very limited Spanish. And they did a great job. Just and it... rando strangers on the side of the road? Yeah, in a pickup truck.
1: <laughs> that tells you, right? I mean, that's that is a great anecdote of how kind people are. And it's clear that it's a culture that's relied on each other for a long time. They haven't been able to rely on anybody else. So they've built this sort of network of, that I mean, it's not anything like at home. I'll tell you that. I just at home you just put on you pull up the Uber Eats app and order something.
0: And I think that gets to the extremes of El Salvador because we're now in San Salvador. It's the one major city. It's Higher elevation; it's cooler. El Zante is really hot. This is a cooler place. It's in this sort of volcanic valley. We're looking across this striking cityscape with green mountains in the background, but also a lot of smog. And we're on top of a very kind of luxury apartment building on the hills, looking out. You know, there there's sort of luxury villas underneath us and around us. But and you look further, and you see corrugated roofs and people living in conditions that are not legal in the United States. Oh, absolutely. No running water.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Although, that said, we have so far, between all of us, counted one homeless
0: person. There's complicated reasons for that, some of them good, some of them bad. But it's definitely a developing country. And I think there are challenges for everyone here. The Bitcoin law, we think, has been an unequivocal good.
1: Yeah, it's hard to twist it any other way. I mean, sure, they haven't. They haven't gotten huge returns on their bag necessarily, but I think the data in the overall tourism suggests that El El Salvador has become a brand name now that just a few years ago wasn't even on anyone's map. Yeah, and things sort of took a hit during COVID, but they're bouncing back. I was just looking at the numbers. El Salvador has exceeded its projections. They've had 1.6 million visitors as of June, and the country received through that about 1.6 billion in foreign currency by June.
0: For a $20 billion economy, that's a lot.
1: And they're Target, they're on track to reach 2.9, so $3 billion in money brought in by tourism. Three billion dollars. That's gotta shut, that's
0: gotta move the needle for them. Just for context, I'm gonna mention this later. The 2023 budget for the US Secret Service that mainly is spent on protecting the US president and past presidents and their families was about three billion dollars for the three Secret billion, Service. Yeah, three
1: billion a year. Let's be honest. The Secret Service, not our biggest agency. Not our
0: Not at all. (laughs) And quite naughty. Whenever whenever they travel, there's always a scandal about... Parties and... Call girls in hotel (laughs) (laughs) rooms. Well, it's not an easy job, I'm sure.
1: So it's been a really interesting perspective to come to San Salvador and see a little more westernized area. You know, they got a McDonald's here and Wendy's and things like that. And you got Uber and Uber Eats. Uh, But everything's just a little different still. It's been, it's been one, the exact experience I wanted is we've read so much about Bitcoin in El Salvador, good and bad. And we've read so much about Bichelli and how the people respond to it. And actually being here, having all the conversations we've had, seeing it, being on the ground, it's
0: been a great education. I'm tempted to say something controversial in that if you are thinking about moving to El Salvador because you're really into Bitcoin, I wouldn't do it. Because this is still a place in political transition. Bukele has a lot of approval, but there are reorganizations within the Bukele regime.
1: There's that risk, although I don't necessarily feel like you don't have that risk in the UK. You kind of have that risk in the States. It's not at the level where it's smaller, so it's easier for you to stand out, right? Like this is your really would be a nail sticking out on the board. But there's so many, it feels like there's so many of those same kinds of risks even back home.
0: In the UK and the US, I think your risk as a Bitpointer is violating some arbitrary enforcement of money transmitting laws, which could absolutely wreck your life. Here, I think your risk is a more systemic political risk A country in transition, violence down, but driving from the coast to San Salvador, we saw soldiers just deployed along the side of the highway, some with armored vehicles with machine guns mounted on them. And they're there to provide a visible presence of a law and order crackdown. That's not cheap you don't spend that money you don't deploy those resources you don't take the risk of arming huge numbers of people who could you know turn independent if things deteriorated unless you really needed to. And so I think that is a a data point in evaluating the overall security. Now, when we talk to the locals, they like it. Now, that's
1: such an interesting perspective to me because I see cops with ARs and shotguns and I think, "Ooh, that's a little intense. I don't know about that. But to them, they feel like it's a sign of safety. Uh, I mean, I haven't talked to a single local that doesn't like the presence.
0: And that, I think, gives a sense of the the low bar that El Salvador is coming off of. And, And things are definitely looking up in many ways for El Salvador. Tourism revenue has been up. Their credit rating just got upgraded. That's all positive. Unfortunately, it seems absolutely clear at this point that we are entering the next great recession. And I'm going to make an argument based on this week's research that we appear to be heading into a financial crisis that will absolutely dwarf the 2008 great monetary contraction. And for places like El Salvador, that's going to be incredibly difficult. They're already dollarized. They are mainlining the global financial system. There is no escape for them. There's no escape for anyone. But for developing countries reliant on tourism, this is going to be a very challenging period because whenever there is recession, contraction, tourism revenues just hit the floor and keep on going down. So that is definitely going to be a shock.
1: We'll get into it further as we get into the show, but I think it's sort of prescient that we're sitting here looking out over the capital right now, literally from like a bird's nest view. And uh, what we're about to talk about today, this place could be, it could be a totally different
0: country in a year. This is the Bitcoin Dad Pod, recorded on Friday, November 10th, 2023 from San Salvador. I am here as always with me, it's Chris. Hey, hey, hello from San Salvador, everybody. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we are going to discuss the Adopting Bitcoin conference that we just attended and hosted a stage at in economic news. Germany has been in recession for over a year and is going deeper into recession. We have just had a U.S. Treasury auction fail, not in an unequivocal way that some won't deny, but it was a failure. This is the endgame. Let's talk about that. Arthur Hayes has a new article called The Periphery, which is one of the most terrifying pieces of analysis and speculation I have read in the past 10 years. I'm honestly worried. And I think that he does a great job of tying together multiple macro and financial trends and, and geopolitical ones into a compelling bear case for basically everything. In privacy, the UK has pulled the trigger on KYCing every crypto transaction for travel rule compliance. Remember, the travel rule comes from the US. This is definitely coming to the US. The next wave of Operation Chokepoint, financial surveillance, it's here. It's going to get up a notch. If you have not taken care of your financial on-chain privacy at this point, I don't know what to say. It is too late, is perhaps too pessimistic, but you need to do this now. Giving that advice might be illegal under the travel rule. I don't know. We have some altcoin shenanigans that we may or may not get to. (laughs) It's silly. It's to be expected. It's schadenfreude. We might need a pickup after the main show. And then in Bitcoin education, there are some changes to the Bitcoin dev mailing list. And also an interesting proposal on on increasing lightning efficiency using covenants. A subject that we also discussed with waxwing in an upcoming interview that we'll release soon. Mm-hmm. And then we've got some boosts, and that's our show.
1: Yeah, it is. And we've got a noisy road. So maybe some listeners down there. Maybe they can hear us, so... They're listening live. It's a live edition of the Bitcoin Dad Pod. Let's talk about adopting Bitcoin because we just wrapped that up a bit ago. This a big event down here, brought in a lot of tourism.
0: There were 1,100 attendees, 350 from El Salvador, over 150 sessions. And we mainlined an entire stage because we were the MCs of the Galois stage, Galois is the Bitcoin company that organizes the conference and is working on Bitcoin adoption worldwide, but especially in San Salvador. So what were your impressions, Chris, as someone who's been to many conferences, many Linux conferences of different types? What kind of a conference was this? And what did you think?
1: This was... A very busy conference, you know. I'd say a lot of conferences do this very early on when they first start; is they just really pack in the sessions. So that way, if you're making the trip, there's going to be something for you. But the other problem is, is that then there's so many sessions that it's almost noise, and you can't make all of them. So there was a little bit of that problem. Um, if you're okay, kind of picking and choosing and scheduling your time during the day, it's not so bad. But you see, some folks get overwhelmed, and they kind of just end up in the hallway, track, and stuff like that. For our room, the Galois stage, they packed them in there pretty good, and I, I probably would have cut. of them and then given the remaining um, another five minutes or so each, and then done like a five-minute transition time between each speaker so they could set up slides in the laptop. And then I probably would have baked in like a 30-minute lunch and then just gone for more signal. But I, I've every conference I've ever been to that starts out, this is always how they start out. They always do this at the beginning. And then eventually somebody gets to them and says, hey, less is more. And then they internalize it. And if they make that transition, then the conference really seems to stay around over the long haul. And I think it's kind of at that stage right now. The part that I was pleased to see is more locals. In Fact, there were talks that were entirely in Spanish. There was an ongoing lightning workshop that students were involved in. All day long, both days. I thought that was kind of cool. And then, you know, just seeing more locals showing up that are trying to adopt Bitcoin, because I was told, I haven't been to the first two, but I was told that the first two adopting Bitcoin events, there was essentially almost no locals. So to see, you know, a fourth ish show up being locals that want to know more about Bitcoin, I think that's a good trend. And it maybe shows that the adopting Bitcoin conference is serving the local community more and more.
0: Miss El Salvador was there. There was definitely more of a local buy in, which I thought was fantastic. I think that like El Salvador, It's important to level set for Bitcoin conferences. This is still an incredibly small, relatively fringe community. It is so early in many respects. And so to keep a conference going for three years at the level of attendance that they have achieved is a huge achievement.
1: Yeah, especially this year when it's an
0: advertising bear market. This is a bear market conference. The fact that Bitcoin is ripping after the conference means that there was no benefit to the Bitcoin price promotion for this conference. And so if it had been a few months later, I think it could easily have been four times the size.
1: For us Bitcoiners, it's kind of nice. Because you don't have all of the, you know, the people that are aping in that just want to talk about price. There, it's a lot more fundamentals about building out and stuff like that. So, that if I was going to pick, that'd be that'd be the type I'd prefer. But I think it does speak to the fact that it's it's holding its attendance, drawing in more locals, and just continuing to go another year in a bear market is a good sign. And if if they can, you know, keep it organized and keep it going, I think they got something here. I just think it needs a little refinement.
0: I think that the conference also reflects the absolute grind of adoption. I attended last year. And there was still this momentum and excitement of the El Salvador Bitcoin law, of the potential for the Bitcoin Lightning Network as a consumer and business payments layer, the technology was hot, and it still is. But it hadn't been battle-tested the way it has over the past year. And it was too early then to see what the pace of adoption in El Salvador would look like, what that curve, what that angle is. And I think we can see now that it is a very difficult curve. It is a grind. And Galois announced onboarding a relatively large company to use Bitcoin Lightning Network for cash management. It's a... Local company that moves money around between grocery stores, which generally settle in cash. Which means they're trucking cash between each other. In a country where every nice neighborhood has a guard with a shotgun, and those are not for show. They have a little pack on their belt that are full of shells. Those guys are ready to go.
1: Yeah, I know. So you can imagine the tactical risk of moving... The stores wealth around on trucks in a country like this, especially where there's roads that are pretty bad. The traffic's really bad. There's lots of opportunity for somebody to roll up right alongside that
0: truck. If I were in that cash truck, it would be like that scene from Sicario when they rush out of Mexico and then they get stuck in the traffic jam and the (laughs) the hitmen start coming out of the stopped cars. Yep. Um, So you could see for them being able to move
1: this all digitally, that's a huge win. I think it's actually a bigger deal for the staff of these stores and for users, obviously, but the staff right now, and it's kind of hit and miss. Very few point of sales terminals here have Lightning integrated. They might show a QR code for an on-chain transaction, but I don't really feel like doing that right now with the fees, what they are. And so it was sort of dependent on the shop owners to have a phone with the Chivo wallet or some app that when the person asked for Bitcoin, they could go, okay, go get the Bitcoin phone. Hey, go get the Bitcoin phone. And they'd bring over the Bitcoin phone and then they Two out of three times, the transaction would actually go through. It's a step change to integrate it in at the point of sale screen, right? Where the merchant staff doesn't have to do anything; they just ring it up. The QR code or whatever it is shows up on the you know screen that the customer is using, and if they whip out their phone and scan it, they're doing a Bitcoin transaction. They didn't, you know, the staff didn't have to go get the Bitcoin phone. You don't have to do that awkward. Um, I know it'd just be easier and quicker to do cash, but would you mind if I paid in Bitcoin? You don't have to have that conversation, which is what you do with the smaller merchants here because they're just mom and pop shops. Putting it into the system means they don't even have to manage that anymore, right? You just get that point of sales terminal and now you don't even you do not even do the implementation. You don't have to have the Bitcoin phone anymore. It just shows up on the screen. And if that's the option the customer selects, they just do it.
0: I think the fact that Galois was able to onboard a large local company in a bear market speaks to both the high cost of securing cash in this country and the high cost of basically financial transmission here and the efficiencies of the Lightning Network, because this is a company that will not experience or want any exposure to Bitcoin price volatility. And so for these kind of cash management use cases... It's pure efficiency that's driving the adoption. Yeah, and
1: they may be they may be just converting it right to USD after the transaction completes. I didn't ask about that.
0: Or using Galois stable sats uh, functionality. Yeah, right, I forget about that. Yeah, they got stable sats. Right.
1: Yeah, that's probably exactly what they're doing. Well, you know, it'll be an interesting use case, and that's sort of Galois' role here is trying to get that business level adoption. And, like you said, that's who's also the main folks behind the Adopting Bitcoin conference. It's a good mission. I think it's, I don't know how it gets turned into a multi billion dollar business one day, but I think it's good work getting done regardless.
0: Honestly, I think that next year's Adopting Bitcoin conference will probably be one to watch because we're going to see what the groundwork that Galois and the Bitcoin community has done in El Salvador, what fruit it will bear as the bull market returns, as global financial conditions, the economy, everything contracts sharply because it already is contracting if bitcoin runs in
1: that in that environment if it runs um i mean it's running right now but that's because we haven't they haven't declared that everything's a disaster yet um it's interesting just like you would expect human incentives play out everywhere around the world and we talk to people here that when the bitcoin price is ripping It's more popular here and people start aping in and then they ultimately start aping into altcoins and they start doing arbitrage trades and they're playing the market like everybody else is around the world when the price goes up. So in a way, a bear market kind of takes that pressure off. If the price does rip, it's going to dramatically change things down here. Now, if it does rip while the dollar is is becoming a problem, it may actually increase the pace of adoption of Bitcoin down here.
0: That is a good point. Even though El Salvador is a developing country... Reliant on both tourism and cash crop exports like coffee, the exact sort of economy that is incredibly fragile to global trade recessions, also imports a huge amount of food. This is the World Bank and IMS neo-colonial financial model: developing countries selling luxury goods uh, into markets that have incredible price volatility and importing food from the northern European and. U.S. agricultural behemoths, but they have built optionality. And I think that is incredibly important going forward at the national level, the community level, and of course, the individual level.
1: So let's talk about why they might need that uh,
0: hedge against the uh, global euro dollar system as it is. (laughs) Well, over a year ago... German counselor Olaf Scholz made some very bullish predictions on Germany's economy. And I believe he said Germany will not go into recession.
1: It's just transitory.
0: The irony is Germany was in recession (laughs) at that point. (laughs) And what we're seeing now is something jeff schneider has pointed out that recessions always sneak up on the world they always sneak up on economists because what happens is when you see the gdp numbers or the trade data that comes hot off the presses there are many assumptions and projections built into that data and then when the recession hits Suddenly, you go back a couple quarters, maybe even years, and it turns out we were in recession the whole time. Actually, the Japanese central bank just declared that Japan went into recession in 2019 (laughs) and has been in recession since then. Yeah, it's funny how you can just rerun those numbers and come up with a different answer, boys. (laughs) So first of all, what is the scale of the German recession? It looks like if you calculate year-on-year drawdowns in GDP growth, Germany over the past three months is on a negative 14% contraction, ooh, which is huge. Ooh. Jeff Schneider has also done some research. I honestly couldn't figure out how he did this, but he actually normalized German trades by weight. So he stripped out somehow the nominal price volatility, the, inf- the fiat inflation from German trade data. Germany is exporting the same weight of goods as it did in 2008. Ah. Germany has already hit the 2008 level of economic contraction, and we haven't even started yet. We have not yet. And in 2008, that was after the financial crisis. Our financial crisis is still brewing. We'll get into that. They're supposed to be the powerhouse over there. They're an international powerhouse. The European Union does not work as an economic union without a growing Germany. And Germany is a temperature for the entire globalization model of trade and manufacturing. These interconnected supply chain networks, Germany is a key part of that. It has massive exposure to China. There's a symbiotic relationship where China did lower-end manufacturing, Germany did higher-end manufacturing, Germany was shipping a lot of machine tools to China. This is definitely good for Germany in the short term, but as German firms discovered, all of their technology was appropriated by Chinese companies. Great for the world, great for China, maybe not great for Germany. And they are in recession, and the rest of the world hasn't caught up yet. So they have further and faster to go. That is pretty,
1: that's pretty striking. It's, it shows you the edges of this thing. The beginning early signs of Western economies that are struggling. And if you think about being at 2008 levels, what that means... that's
0: after the crash when things were at a bottom, right? That's pretty, that's striking. But like we mentioned, in 2008, Germany's exports, its economy, took a nosedive after the financial crisis. Right. Well, I mean, that that part makes sense. So that's fine. We'll just avoid a financial crisis. Yeah, that's fine. No problem. Well, I have bad news. As we're recording, yesterday, we have experienced a failed treasury auction. A 30-year treasury auction went terrible. I'm quoting Lynn Alden on Noster. This is where she provides her raw uncensored thoughts. Huge price tail. basically a half-failed bond auction. There hasn't been an auction that bad in many years. Some people chalked it up to a cyber attack on ICBC, China's largest bank, which interfered with their ability to do treasury transactions, while others contested that this was the main issue and instead argued that it was a lack of demand for duration treasury market liquidity is really weak and then an hour later jerome powell was interrupted in an imf talk by eco protesters and dropped the f-bomb on a hot mic
1: my favorite moment boy did we enjoy that that was so great and um I have a clip now. It's getting my own personal collection forever. I think I like Jerome Powell a little more than how to use the F-bomb for some reason.
0: I like the top comment to her post. Looks like Jerome closed the fuck, or looks like China closed the fucking door on the U.S. Treasury auction.
1: Yeah, okay, so just to back up to what you said there for a second, the idea that a ransomware on, what is it, like China's third largest bank or something like that, uh, a ransomware attack basically disrupts a bond auction? It to such a degree seems like that would also be a systemic risk, I- even if it wasn't because of the rates. If it was be- just because of that technical issue, what did you build this financial system out of? Tissue paper? <laughs> like, I love that. That's the excuse. gas-soaked oh, rags. Oh no, we just almost took out the U.S. economy because a bank in China had ransomware, and that's 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 an acceptable answer to the problem.
0: And this is a point I've harped on many times, but the current state of the global euro-dollar-based financial system. Is a contagion factory. The more counterparties that exist, because no assets are bearer assets in this system. Every asset is the liability of another party. So, my strong balance sheet over here that makes me think I'm a rich bank or financial institution, it represents the aggregated liabilities of banks, financial institutions, even individuals with mortgages all over the world. So, that means whenever there needs to be a write down, whenever someone doesn't pay their loan, whenever things go bad somewhere, it directly weakens the financial stability of every single bank, financial institution, and financial piece of infrastructure in the fiat system. And that's where we are today.
1: So explain to me, like I'm five, why a treasury auction failure is a really bad red flag.
0: I think at a high level, we have to recognize that US government debt is the base asset of the world today. In a certain sense for most financial system participants it's arbitrary what you use as the base asset it just has to be something people will accept it has to be sort of money like there have to be markets where people trade it there have to be complex markets where people make contracts around it we call this derivatives it's a tool for hedging financial risk for savings for facilitating trade for many things but at its core People need to want this asset. The system needs to want this asset. And so when a treasury auction fails, and by the way, This doesn't mean the dollar is crashing tomorrow. This is just the spark has been lit. We'll see if it catches. But the system's made out of gas-soaked rags, so it probably will. So what happened was the yield on these treasuries peaked uh, towards the end of the auction. And the prime brokers that facilitate these trades and also have an agreement to buy up any treasuries no one wanted, they ended up with about 25% of the auction. In 10 days, these securities will be on the Fed's balance sheet. The U.S. Federal Reserve, the central bank of the U.S., indirectly monetizes U.S. government debt by buying it from prime brokers after treasury auctions. They have a cooling off period. The reason that yield spiked is that There were no buyers at the offered interest rate for these 30 year bonds. And so the mechanism of the market meant that the price of these bonds had to fall, but the yield on them remains the same. And so this means that the effective interest rate being paid is higher. Right. Okay. It's hard to visualize, but.
1: That's not a, not a very good uh, revenue-returning proposition, though.
0: No, it means that these bonds are providing less money to the government to finance its operations, and they have to pay more in interest.
1: That's not a very attractive market product. It isn't.
0: And this failure gets into Arthur Hayes' piece, The Periphery. It's a doozy. If you have the patience, I suggest you take a read. Your blood will run cold. Arthur is tying together global conflict, which is undoubtedly on the rise right now. The political incentives to keep that conflict going, to keep it hot, especially in Israel. The Prime Minister of Israel is currently facing multiple corruption charges if he doesn't stay in office and his best way to stay in office is to prosecute this war with maximum violence, if he get, if he's kicked out of office, he likely goes to jail. So the leader of the Israeli military apparatus does not want peace, does not want the war to end, does not want this to be a limited operation that increases Israeli safety. He wants to prosecute this and rack up as much carnage against a perceived enemy as possible. I suppose in the economic context,
1: the concern there is all of his neighbors don't agree with that. You know, we've had some conversations with folks from the region here at Adopting Bitcoin, and they have a different perspective on it than a lot of, I'd say, the people in the states do and other places. You know, it's a
0: they they feel it, I think, a little more viscerally. Absolutely. And because this is a hot-button topic, to clarify, no one likes Hamas. No one is supporting Hamas, whatever that even means. And Hamas is a political entity that engages in terrorism and uses the Palestinian people as a human shield to further the hurt and anger that fuels their political agenda. At the same time, as Israel destroys the Gaza Strip and creates millions of refugees, these refugees are politically destabilizing to Egypt, to Lebanon, to Jordan, wherever they go. This flow of refugees brings incredible complications for very marginal economies that are already struggling with inflation, with food prices, with just sustaining themselves. No one here, in a sense, has a choice. I think, about their actions. Obviously, we all have choices, but there are clear incentives to not alienate local Arab populations in the Middle East, in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia, in all of Israel's neighbors, by not doing something to push back about Israel's treatment of the Palestinians. Well, there are a lot of energy producers in this region, Iran is already arming groups that are firing missiles into Israel at U.S. assets in the area. The U.S. is definitely getting involved. It's performing airstrikes in support of Israel. This is another front for global conflict. On the one hand, it increases the spending pressure of the U.S. government. There is absolutely no way for the U.S. government to slim its budget in a wartime economy, and it is a wartime economy. Simply providing ammunition for the war in Ukraine is significantly increasing U.S. military expenditure. Prior to these conflicts igniting, the U.S., for 10 years— has looked like a wartime economy. The budget deficits, the out-of-control spending on domestic pet projects, the aging demographics that have required increasing spending on Social Security and Medicare, there's absolutely nowhere in the U.S. budget. There's no flexibility. What do you cut? Yeah, we're totally backed into a corner now. Everything is essential at this point. And of course, there's huge amounts of waste. There's misguided policy that incentivizes investment in solar and wind technology that does not have the energy density or the efficiency of things like nuclear. This has actually killed a major nuclear project that could have produced small modular reactors that could have been the next revolution in green carbon-free energy, and that was killed by wind and solar.
1: Yeah, yeah, It was. A week ago they announced that that project in Idaho would come to an end because well, wind and solar is a more competitive market, but that's sort of a false narrative. I mean, it's also the reality, but it's only a more competitive market because it's been heavily subsidized by the government. So that action means that subsidies that have been driven by the government, while it's good to see investments in solar, have led to a decline in investments in local oil production and, like you just said, nuclear. And now we just have, in the last week or so, the shutting down of that project in Idaho. And they cited specifically
0: renewables. So what does this have to do with geopolitics? We're arguing that the U.S. government cannot stop spending It has the largest budget deficits in history. We're entering recession, and so tax receipts will fall. Budget deficits will get worse. And we already have a political pattern where in recession, in economic crisis, the government enacts direct cash stimulus to citizens, the Stimi checks. Do you think that that will not happen again? It must happen again. If you don't do it as a politician, your opponent will and they will get elected. Yeah, it's inevitable because
1: once you do it, you have to do it again you have to do it bigger. And uh, we've seen this before. Now the, the mentality in the federal government is go big, go strong, overshoot, because the lesson from the 2008 GFC is we were too cautious. And if we would have just... Printed more money and dumped more money into the system, we may have had better results. And so that's literally what they've internalized is when the situation comes up, go hard, go fast with the money.
0: And as Jeff Schneider's work on German trade volumes demonstrates, there has been no growth globally in the past 10 years. We were fooled by nominal increases in prices, by financial engineering, by inflation. Because let's be frank, at 2% year-on-year growth of GDP, that's a Rounding error. The data is bad. It's hard to do economic data. It's hard to do the CPI. There are a lot of complicated incentives on those numbers. The data is bad. 2% growth is a big question mark. There is evidence that it was an illusion. Nothing has changed since 2008, but all of the stopgap measures have further weakened the financial system. And now we have a failed US Treasury auction, and we have to talk to you about. The bear steepener.
1: That sounds bad. A bear
0: steepener? We're just starting to finally talk about a bull market. (laughs) Dad! (laughs) (laughs) So this is probably the worst thing to try to explain without a visual aid. But when people describe the bond market, they talk about the U.S. Treasury curve. And so on the left side of the chart, you have the three-month bill, the six-month, one-year, two-year, five-year, 10-year, 30. So the, the duration of these bonds, they move left to right from the zero point on an XY axis, you know, down the X axis. And on the Y axis, you have the interest rate that this security is yielding. Now, this security should be kind of a 45-degree line because If I get a 30-year, I should see a better return than a 5-year, You're taking a lot of risk. What if I'm not around in 30 years? What if there's high inflation? That needs to be higher. Right. And for the last 10 years, this curve has been inverted interest rates have been higher at the short end and lower on the long end. Not a huge difference, but still, that doesn't make economic sense. What's going on there? And the answer is that the US Federal Reserve was unwilling to let short-term rates go negative. When short-term rates go negative, your financial system explodes because no balance sheet, no financial calculation can divide by a zero or a negative interest rate. All those long-term holders are screwed. That's a completely financialized economy where money and finance has absolutely divorced from physical reality. That's a failure of your monetary system because I cannot do business with you if you are telling me that I need to pay you to accept my goods and services. Pass. We no longer have an economy. We've gone back to barter. And so. The market wanted interest rates to go negative. The Fed fought this. And that low long-term rate on US government debt, that was a reflection of very low expectations for growth. That was a hint that there was no growth in the 10 years after the global monetary crisis in 2008. But what's happening now is the yield curve is sort of sorting out the long-term rates are rising, again, relating to the failed treasury auction. And so this should be a good thing, right? Right. The curve looks normal again. Yeah. I mean, that's what we want, right? The long-term bets pay off. Yes. And that would be the bull steepener. The bull steepener, which is, by the way, bad for the economy, that means that we're probably in a recession. And so there's a whole complexity of what happens with a recession in such a messed up financial system. But actually what's happening is the bear steepener. And so while the curve is coming back to this Lower on the left, higher on the right, 45 degree angle. If you've ever seen an XY chart, you can imagine what that looks like. The entire line is shifting up. Well, what happens when... I have all this debt. It's yielding 5%. And now at the next auction, the interest rate is 6%. What, what What? does that mean? My debt yields five, that debt yields six. It means that my bonds have just lost value. All U.S. government bonds in existence are going to be underwater soon. That's the trend. And just to give a sense of how big this is, there are currently at least 680 billion in losses only on U.S. Treasury bills. By the way, total equity in the U.S. banking system is only $2.2 trillion. The financial crisis has not happened yet. And we can kind of, with rough, stupid math, estimate that over 25% of the capital in the U.S. banking system has gone to zero. Before we've hit the wall. Before the crisis. This oh, is man. <laughs> this is, mean, so this is in the good times, quote unquote. Right, and and obviously, obviously, I've just said there's bad data. Think numbers yeah, could yeah, change. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sounding alarmed. I might have egg on my face soon. But putting this together. I knew that the next financial crisis would dwarf the 2008 crisis, but the implied magnitude of this is so serious. The incremental constraints on how people can use financial assets, the financial surveillance has gotten so much worse in the last 10 years. I can't imagine how things might go, and I am deeply concerned.
1: Yeah, because all of the ways to fix this would cause other problems or would reach absolute political impossibility, right? Like, So, I mean, obviously, the thing to do right now would be for the U.S. federal government to do emergency spending cuts, try to raise revenue, bring in profits, but
0: that... And give Eastern Europe to Russia and yep. leave right. Israel alone yep. in the midst of uh, relatively hostile and neighbors. pull out of... Taiwan and that quickly building conflict as well. While there are reports that China seems to be stockpiling oil and fuel, yeah, the sort of thing that you would see if a conflict We're with Taiwan brewing. was brewing. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: so that that's that stuff's not going to happen, and uh, they're not going to be able to raise taxes right now because everybody's broke from inflation. And if they did raise taxes, well, that would cause a recession. So. I mean, obviously, there might be a solution here. I mean, they're they're always incredible at kicking the can down the road. But I think we've always wondered what happens after all of the cans have been kicked. You're totally backed into a corner now.
0: And just to tie in the Bitcoin ETF news, frankly... If I were paid for my opinion, I would tell the U.S. president to hurry up and sign that executive order that bans any spot crypto or Bitcoin ETFs. Because in the bear steepener case we're describing, there is no safe asset in the traditional financial system. This is a financial event that makes JP Morgan insolvent. There's no financial institution that can escape from this. And there's no longer an inverse relationship between the price of stocks and the price of bonds. And this is the core of every single portfolio in the world, barring a few fringe, highly sophisticated investors and, of course, Bitcoiners. So if you create a spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States, in the world's most liquid financial market, you are opening an exit door directly to the largest pool of capital that could be potentially existential. If the hard money properties of Bitcoin are misunderstood by investors such that they think an ETF will provide them safety in the upcoming crisis. I cannot even imagine how much capital will ape into that. And that, frankly could be incredibly destabilizing to the traditional financial system. And so I think that whether an ETF is allowed or not, it may not be allowed for long, because I think it could potentially represent a systemic risk to the global financial system. Wow, wouldn't that be something?
1: Like a last-minute Biden-White House swoop in and EO that prevents the SEC from approving the spot ETF, that would be dramatic. Or a spot ETF that rolls out, they start doing sales, it's kicking off, prices roaring. And then the White House steps in and signs some sort of EO that uh, shuts it down. Yeah, I, I can't believe with what you see brewing that they would give anyone an escape hatch right now. It just I can't
0: I can't square that. And there's a lot of spending to be done. Conflicts are ramping up. Military appropriations budgets are going to be increasing. The aging of the U.S. and all developed nation populations is inevitable. That means more spending on social welfare. You can't cut that. If you cut that, your pensioners will vote. For anyone who gives them that money back, it doesn't matter what their other policies are. This is how you get extreme ideology into your political system. So I'm very bearish on the economy. I'm bearish long term on the dollar because who knows, maybe short term it'll pump. It usually does. And I think that this is going to be a watershed period for Bitcoin because we didn't have Bitcoin in the 2008 financial crisis. Bitcoin was inspired by it. But now we have- They'll come up with a name for it eventually.
1: Yeah, well, we're really going to see Bitcoin tested. You want to know how it would have done during the 2008 GFC? Well, (laughs) take that, times it by 10, and let's see.
0: I remember saying in the past with you that the true Bitcoin bear market is not one I want to see because it is this setup. It is a world on the brink. It is every political incentive pushing nation states towards more conflict, towards more extreme policies. It is financial fragility to a degree that we couldn't imagine possible. We're dealing with a 15 year old band aid on a broken euro dollar system that received a mortal wound in 2000. 2008 and has been bleeding out since then. We can see that in the lack of growth. We can see that in the radicalization of politics basically everywhere. The absolute financialization of the economy. And the core political question is the establishment says that things are fine and we just need to continue as we are going, but things are not fine. I think the
1: the mainstream narrative is everything will be fine as long as we get inflation back down to 2%. And that's the conversation you see. If we get inflation down to 2%, everything will be fine.
0: And given the growth in government spending, there is no way to get inflation down by 2%. It's definitionally impossible. So you got to pivot to tactical, right? You got to start closing the exits, locking things down, protecting people and their investments. And we will see that in internationalized, smaller economies, because these are economies that are more vulnerable to capital flight. They are very exposed to the dollar and financial system weakness. And I'm talking about you, Great Britain.
1: (laughs) Oh, the UK, how far you have fallen. And this was a this was a real stinker to see. Uh, exchanges in the UK will KYC every single transaction following the Travel Rule Compliance Group, whatever that is. But it, the even if even if moving. You have to record the recipient, their information, what it's for, and it essentially restricts transactions to, quote-unquote, trusted exchanges. So if you're doing peer-to-peer transactions, those are not safe and blessed. And that matters when you want to move large sums of money. Maybe you want to sell some of your stash to buy a house, things like that. That, you you essentially, if you have, you know, dark, dark Bitcoin, uh, you may not be able to do that because uh, they, specifically in the UK, they'll ask. Where you got the money for that? Where it all? come I mean, they look all the way down Where's to the, the
0: specific transaction.
1: Yeah, the, they'll go all the way down to which paycheck did you buy that transaction with, right? So they'll really go all the way to the bottom, and if it's now on a non-trusted custodian um, you may not be able to spend it that's where this is going and it's not even hyperbole it's really alarming and you have to figure if it's happening in the uk it's probably going to come to the states
0: it's absolutely because trust this industry organization of self-compliance with the travel rule thanks coinbase thank you coinbase thanks for promoting crypto adoption great job that tells you everything it's a it's a it's an initiative put together by
1: coinbase of trusted exchanges it sounds like an old boy network of exchanges And so the real takeaway is, if you're listening in the UK and you've got any holdings on an exchange, get it off before the
0: end of November because afterwards you won't be able to remove it. And if you're listening anywhere else, get it off because this is coming coming to you. you. Yeah, exactly. If... Anything remotely close to the financial calamity that seems to be brewing in the data comes true. Do you think that crypto exchanges will be able to stay solvent in those events? Do you think they're going to have banking relationships? Do you think they're going to be allowed to act as portals that just take capital out of a local economy, reduce prices there, increase volatility there, and give people any sort of protection from inflation? Like TLDR, the only way out for governments that are completely fiscally unsustainable and are confronting debt markets that can no longer paper over these unsustainable policies is taxation through inflation and confiscation. Yep, yep. That's
1: why they got to close the exit downs. Here's a quote from Gemini, their UK operation, quote, from the 1st of December 2023, Gemini may freeze and or restrict users who are attempting to make inbound transfers to Gemini from a non-trust VASP. That's one of these participating exchanges. They go on to write, this is due to these transactions potentially missing the required information to ensure transparency of the transaction. So what they mean by that missing information is you got a form to fill out for both ends of that transaction and you fully KYC. You'd list what the intent is, what the use is and where it came from before you can do a single transaction. You got to get it off the exchanges. This is horrible to see and uh, totally antithetical to the nature of Bitcoin.
0: And totally predicted. We've always said that not your keys, not your coins. And we're all about to discover what coins are ours because you're going to hopefully listen to this, attempt to withdraw from an exchange, anything you're holding on there. And you're going to find out if the transaction goes through or if you get a little alert and then you're contacted by a rep. We need you to fill in more information, scan your face. This sort of KYC is incredibly dangerous to anybody, but especially crypto holders.
1: It's a pretty big downer, but it is the situation that's developed in the last couple of weeks. And I think we just wanted to get the word out to everybody as fast as possible. If you're in that area, this is your last chance. And it's not your crypto anymore. You paid for it. (laughs) not yours.
0: A shout out to privacy. So if you can withdraw, you probably need some on-chain privacy. So what are the tools today? There's CoinJoin, JoinMarket, Samurai, Wasabi. These are sort of the famous CoinJoin tools. We recommend JoinMarket because then you don't have to deal with the politics and trust of the coordinator, but CoinJoin is expensive. Other options are swaps. I think Bolts.exchange has a swap service. You can swap Bitcoin to Lightning. I think they also do altcoin swaps or, or some, maybe Tether. So these are options for creating a break in the deterministic links between your UTXOs. But other than that, you need your own wallet. For hardware wallets, we always recommend ColdCard for the power users, So I guess they have more user-friendly options now, like these SATs cards or tap signers. True. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I guess boost in and tell us how you're securing your stash in a way that doesn't identify you, because I think we should start talking a little bit more about that more frequently. Like, I think we've avoided the topic of multisig a bit on the show, but maybe it's time to start discussing that a little more seriously as well, you know, especially as you start trying to secure large amounts. If it does go up in a bull run, you want to start thinking about how am I protecting my stash, not at 30,000, but how am I protecting it when it's 100,000, 500,000? And I think that's when you start talking multisig and things like that. I think those could be future conversations.
0: And even though mempool fees are high right now, The bull market has not even begun and the mempool is over a gigabyte. That is a market signal. No one can control the mempool. That is organic demand for block space. I'm not a price talker. I'm not a trader, but I honestly don't see how this bull market doesn't. It might be the final cycle because there is a price of Bitcoin where it phase transitions into a completely different type of asset. With a macro backdrop where there is literally no financial protection from these events other than perhaps hard assets like gold and Bitcoin that you self-custody that cannot be confiscated, this is Bitcoin's moment. Yeah, perhaps. And whatever your security is, it's not enough right now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And those altcoins, they're not going to do it for you either. I'm sorry to report. Especially those Bored Ape NFTs, they're not going to really do it for you. All they're going to do is blind (laughs) you. There was a Bored Ape NFT event in Hong Kong right around adopting Bitcoin, and the attendees that used the bathroom were exposed to UV lights that the organizers thought were black lights, which, seeing the pictures, you can tell they're not black lights. It's obvious they're not black lights. Not to make light of the situation because people went in to take a piss and they ended up getting blinded, at least for a few days, and severe skin burns because they installed these UV lights all over the place at the board Apes <laughs> party. And it's just, I don't know, sort of emblematic, I think.
0: It, it kind of lets you know what quality of entity you're dealing with there. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: maybe don't go to crypto events in Hong Kong. This episode of the Bitcoin Dad Pods brought to you by my podcast network, Jupiterbroadcasting.com. We just released Linux Unplugged, which was recorded down here in San Salvador, and I shared a few stories talking to the locals about their open source and Linux use, and we also did a review of Fedora 39, which I think was a real nice one. So go over and check out all the good shows. we got Self-Hosted, Office Hours, Coda Radio, and of course, Linux Unplugged over at jupiterbroadcasting.com.
0: I was trying for something new, running CentOS Stream 9, and I really regret i didn't play it safer and just go with fedora
1: (laughs) yeah it probably would have been easier on you although i think you kind of got it whipped whipped into shape now it
0: just took you a week it's almost like technical skill doesn't matter and your mental state does
1: yes because the moment
0: that i kind of resolve my conflicted feelings about el salvador and travel and both anticipation for the excitement of a bull market and just a the dread for what's coming you know, once I gave voice to that, suddenly my computer worked. Everything worked. <laughs> I, and no, I didn't even change anything; it
1: just started working. <laughs> it's funny how that happens. I, I experienced the same thing. It,
0: it must be a new kernel module. The, yeah, uh, emotional yeah. intelligence, right? Though.
1: It's measuring the temperature of your hands, and when they're really hot, this yeah. is the uh, Berkeley Packet
0: Filter add-ons, right? <laughs> the <BFPs>. yeah, <laughs> you can do it all in ebpf real quick. So we have a slightly short Bitcoin optech, but I think it's big news that the Bitcoin dev mailing list is not long for this world, at least not in its current form.
1: Presently, and well, since the beginning, it's been hosted by the Linux Foundation. They had or have a lot of infrastructure and they host a lot of mailing lists for open source projects. And I always really liked this because I've always felt that the Linux open source camp and the Bitcoin open source camp could have been closer together, could always have been closer together. And so I thought having a neutral party like The Linux Foundation host both those mailing lists was important. But they have been struggling since about 2017 over at the Linux Foundation to properly manage their mail system. And I know they've tried to do an upgrade of their mail hosting software at one point, which went badly and they had to roll back. And they kind of started warning people back then, hey, we're not going to do this forever. Well, this previous week or within the last week, they sent notice to the Bitcoin mailing dev list to one of the maintainers of the list that they would be ceasing, the Linux Foundation would be ceasing all mailing list hosting operations by the end of the year. That's the Linux kernel, that's all the open source projects around it, and of course the other big one, the Bitcoin dev mailing list. And they kind of have just, you know, a couple of months to go figure out where they're going to host this massive mailing list. I'm frustrated by it because the Linux Foundation at this point does so little for Linux and open source, 3% of their overall budget, less than 3% really, it goes to Linux. So it sort of felt like one of the things they could do is host some damn email. And now they can't even be bothered to do that.
0: And I think this is a Bitcoin story because without Linux what do we host Bitcoin on? Not Windows, man. I'm sorry. If we don't have software that we can run on any device that we can own, that we can trust, then we can't have Bitcoin. You know, Linux is part of
1: the sovereign story, right? It's a sovereign operating system and you don't have to follow the whims of some corporate strategy. You can watch the production and the development in the open. You can see where it's going before it's gotten there. People can fork it if they don't like it. It is truly an open, organic platform
0: that lets you be completely sovereign. And frankly, it is now Easier to use, easier to install than any other operating system than Mac OS than Windows. I've set up Linux for people who are completely non-technical. I have advised my uncle, who knows very little about technical details about how to install Ubuntu using a USB actually, I think he chose Fedora just because of the name, but how to install Fedora using a USB <laughs> on an eight year- old computer and that's he... such a great that's such a great reason to choose a distro. <laughs> And he is using it as a media center. Oh, that's great we had a conversation about it and I didn't hear back and I thought he hadn't done it. And he was like, oh yeah, it was no big deal. And we're fine. That's what you want, really. This is someone of our parents' generation. Yeah. You know, This is not an internet native person. And so Linux is so good and the Linux Foundation does so little. And I think Chris, you have an announcement. Oh yeah, we're going to... Well, I haven't, I haven't really hired the lawyer yet. So if you're out there and you're a
1: Linux open source lawyer who wants to work for pro bono, let's launch a lawsuit against the Linux Foundation for not investing enough in
0: Linux. I don't know exactly the parameters. You're the lawyer, so you figure it out and tell me there has to be something here (laughs) if it's called the linux foundation and less than five percent of their budget actually supports linux oh there goes a cool guy that guy's the that's the coolest guy in san salvador right now or
1: the least respectful of his neighbors (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think we should start a campaign for them to rename it to the free software consolidation for commercial interests foundation that's more accurate Yeah, I think that about covers it. It's just such a shame. You know, like these developers have so much on their plate. Now they got to go figure out how to host email. Maybe somebody will come along and help them out.
0: In more positive news, we have another post about covenants. Johan Torres-Halseth has posted to the Lightning Dev mailing list, again, not long for this world, a suggestion about using covenants to aggregate multiple hash time-lock contracts, HTLCs, into a single output. It could be spent all at once if a party knew all the pre-images, or if a party only knew some of the pre-images, they could claim just those, and then the remaining balance could be refunded to the other party. So would you use this for like, say I wanted to send you some Bitcoin, but I didn't
1: want you to spend it for five days, and then you'd send it to somebody else, and they couldn't spend it for five days? Like, what would be
0: like the most you know, average use case, do you think? Again, I'm going to shill our upcoming conversation with Waxwing because currently the Lightning Network relies on game theory to enforce. Game theory is messy. It's violent because if your node hiccups and you send a wrong state, then your channel partner can take all your money. It's not an ideal situation. The better situation is that the ownership of funds in Lightning is determined by cryptography. This Covenant proposal would allow Lightning channels to close unilaterally in a safe way. You'd have more flexibility about fees because when Lightning was invented, there was a caveat from the beginning, which was this does not scale to billions of people. And that's true because Lightning security doesn't just rely on the Bitcoin blockchain, on data that's on the Bitcoin blockchain. It relies on transactions clearing within a certain time frame. Well, with a one gigabyte mempool, I guarantee we are going to see in the near future people taking lightning channels because the counterparty couldn't confirm a justice transaction for whatever reason. This is a real issue. Covenants solve this by adding additional flexibility into the parameters for closing, opening, and updating channels. They allow this to be done in a much safer manner that doesn't require... An empty, or at least a not-too-full mempool for security. So the benefits to Lightning would be obvious. And I think it echoes Brandon Black's talk at Adopting Bitcoin about covenants, about the competing proposals, and how this is pretty clearly the next upgrade to Bitcoin. Yeah, we need it.
1: Maybe one of the lesser controversial ones in a while? Maybe? I mean, it's hard to say that now, (laughs) because... You know, things change, but it seems like one of the lesser controversial ones at the moment. Now, we do always love hearing your feedback. Remember, you can get in touch with the show, Bitcoin Dad Pod, at protonmail.com or on Weapon X over at Bitcoin Dad Pod, Or why not join the real time chat? I was just sharing some great fraud and this morning in the Bitcoin chat thrown in video clips of everybody that said Bitcoin was going to zero over the last year. And, uh, you know, sometimes we just get great feedback via that Matrix channel, too. It's going all week long.
0: So consider joining that. We'll have links in the show notes. And shout out first to our baller booster of the week, Bafo, who sent in a big 80,000 sats with the message, Bafo, send Bitcoin beach boost. Ah, that's a good boost, Bafo. Thank you, you baller. Appreciate that always. Thank you for that chunk. I I wish I'd seen you at the conference, Baffo. Maybe I did, but I didn't know. We did meet a couple listeners. Shout out to Hal Was Right. Yeah, Hal Was Right was ran into at Mm -hmm. the conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost easier when
1: people tell us their boost username because then that like that clicks. Jordan B came in with a row of McDucks, twenty two thousand two hundred and twenty two stats using the podverse. He says, Hey guys, keep up the great podcast. He says, have you tried out the new Zeus beta features of a trust minimized lightning address? It takes the form of like an email address, my name at zeuspay.com. The way it works is it's using a 24-hour HODL invoice. As long as you open the app, within 24 hours of payment, it will be redeemed. Otherwise, the payment will fail. It's pretty cool if somewhat controversial. And um, I think they're using Nostr attestation a little bit to do this as well. So there's some Nostr magic. Kind of put that transaction out in the ether. And then when your client comes uh, online, it can go find it. I think it's freaking brilliant.
0: And it's certainly an upgrade to the Albi static lightning address where it's basically custodied by Albi.
1: Yeah. And it has to be, it's online all the time because Albi servers are, right? But this lets you
0: self-custody in an app that can be offline and you can still receive
1: payments.
0: But not anymore because Albi has frozen deposits oh, yeah. <laughs> due to high network Yeah, fees. there is that. There
1: that is, It does get kind of sketch as everybody adjusts. Uh, Evan, the developer, the main developer of the Zeus app, was at Adopting Bitcoin. We emceed his event and... I think Zeus is the app to beat right now. You can connect it to your existing node if you already have one, and it'll help you manage that just fine and spend your sats from your existing node. Or now the node can be in your phone with the 0.8 public beta going forward. They actually have a built-in frickin' lightning node. They will do dynamic liquidity channels from their provider. I've been using it here in San Salvador for my Bitcoin transactions. It's been working great.
0: My big Zeus bowl. Have not yet used this feature, but I think that we are going to talk to Evan when Zeus gets to its 1.0 release, ideally 1.1 maybe, and we can talk about the evolution of the product, starting an LSP, yeah. these considerations. He's managing the liquidity for all those clients. Got That's got to be serious insight into lightning at scale. We also received a row of ducks, 2,222 sats from Mere Mortals podcast with the message, would love to hear some on-the-ground info of interesting BTC observations, ease of use, local understanding. Do you feel safe there? I'm looking at going to the Brazilian version of Bitcoin Beach next year. Wow. Well, first of all, Mere Mortals, thank you for the boost. And uh, sorry to hear about
1: the recent family news. My thoughts are with you. Do I feel safe? Let's start there. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> the wind's picking up out here. <laughs> Everything's blowing around us. Yeah. Um, maybe I shouldn't, but I
0: have actually felt pretty safe. I think I feel just as safe as I do in most downtown cities. That's, that said, you're not going to walk around at night the same way. I Probably think. not. Yeah. Although, I, mean, ju- I mean, just because it's dangerous on the sidewalks. So the sidewalks are yes, so janky and, and the uneven, lighting And the lighting is poor. It's very dark at night. Yeah.
1: Although I have been, so we, our Airbnb has a beautiful balcony that looks over San Salvador. And I uh, haven't been sleeping a lot with being sick. And I've been out there at night watching it. I felt like I would probably walk around at least a little local area. So safe, yes. But there is probably you want to exercise some caution because you could easily twist an ankle walking around in the dark. Local understanding, I'd say, is a hit and miss. The younger population seems pretty tuned in on Bitcoin. The younger
0: you are, the more tech savvy, the more educated. These are the people that can take advantage of new technologies and leverage them. It's just an unfortunate fact that poorer people with less access to education have a harder time adapting to these changes. And education is part of that solution. Building communities is part of that solution. Is there a a good one? I don't know. know. It's hard.
1: And the reality is a lot of the business owners are the older generation. So that's where you run into some of the Bitcoin adoption, because this was a great insight that was provided to me that's so obvious when I say it out loud, but I didn't fully grasp until I was here on the ground in the West, in the States. I think a lot of us look at Bitcoin as a hedge against sovereign risk. We look at it as a as a vote outside the system, a little bit of protection from your local government. Some people, I think, maybe maybe a lot of people are buying and stacking sats for those reasons in the West. Here in El Salvador, they have very good reason for generation after generation to have intense, deep distrust for their government. And Bitcoin is a government initiative. It started in El Zante, but then it was implemented here at the government level with Chivo wallet and all of that. And so a lot of the older folks, you know, my age and up, Look at Bitcoin as the government money. And so they don't trust it because they think it's government money. And well, that's factually wrong. And so that will probably revert to the mean over time and they'll come to a new understanding. But we're in that phase. The young folks, they love it. They think it's great. You know, they'll take Bitcoin. And some of the businesses absolutely, like Bitcoin Beach and some of the businesses here absolutely will. But I think the older the age gets, the more skeptical you'll find the El Salvadorians.
0: And there's also just friction because if you have a restaurant and someone wants to pay in Bitcoin, it's not going through your point of sale terminal and so that's separate accounting. Yes. You know, you it's not like these operations, I mean restaurants everywhere are super low margin and so it's not like they can just hodl those sats necessarily. Right. They have to convert them to fiat to pay people, and that is friction.
1: That's why the Gloy announcement with 40,000 merchants was kind of a big deal, because they're integrating that Sats receiving into their existing workflow and platform. So it'll be just part of their business balance, right? They don't have now a cash balance and a Sats balance, which was just a lot to
0: manage, and I wouldn't want to do that either. And Hal was right. There he is. Already given a shout out. Sent in 2100 Sats with a message, El Salvador Boost. I hope you are all enjoying your trip.
1: Yep. I'm enjoying it enough that I'm already sad we're leaving tomorrow morning. I mean, I'm glad to go home, and I got so much stuff to do when I get home that I am chomping at the bit to get home as fast as possible, but I'm, it's, I'm also torn. Like Every time I step out on the balcony, I'm trying to take in that view, just trying to take it in as much as I can every time, because I, I know I'm going to miss it.
0: Absolutely. I had a fantastic trip, actually. There was some rough edges, especially initially. Yeah. But- <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it it was amazing. I had my
1: son almost killing himself
0: twice. And injuring me in the process. (laughs) (laughs) But it it was just great. I I really had a great time and learned so much this time. Just having someone else to sort of talk about it with was so valuable. Pick it around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Also, because Chris came, we have interviews this time. It's not like last time where I came all this way, tried to do interviews, screwed up the audio... (laughs) <laughs> it's rough. It is. It is losing a podcast and losing a recording, especially with a great exclusive guest that you went to
1: somewhere to, it's devastating. Yeah, it is. I've been there. Magnolia Mayhem comes in with 3,456 hats using the podcast index. He writes, "Hey guys, stay safe in El Salvador and I
0: hope you all have fun. I
1: can't wait to hear about the
0: trip." So, Magnolia Mayhem sent in a long description of an a sort of anti-Bitcoin show. I guess
1: they had a guest on named Phil Ferguson, who is a financial advisor, or at least pretends to be one. Uh, the host mentioned Phil has a distaste for Bitcoin, and that sent Phil into a ten-minute triade about how Bitcoin is an obvious scam and everyone around it are idiots. Uh, if you want a good laugh, uh, go look in the uh, go look in the Bitcoin Matrix chat right now, because there's like three or four videos of. "Quote unquote financial experts saying Bitcoin's going to zero, and all of them said it at the exact bottom market. And now Bitcoin's up over a hundred percent since all of those statements in the videos in that chat room. It is remarkable that these individuals can be steep in this world and not understand the difference between BlockFi and blockchain and FTX and Bitcoin. Like they, you would think these financial advisors could understand the difference between an asset and a company, but they
0: just don't get it." Actually, when you say it that way, it makes complete sense oh, because yeah? in the traditional financial system, you yeah, know, yeah, assets okay. yeah. are the liabilities of companies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is a big a big jump. Thank you so much for the boost Magnolia Mayhem. If you've listened to early episodes of this show, I was just rounding up a five-year journey to find a very good, thoughtful critique of Bitcoin that changed my view that if anything could possibly work as an alternative asset, as a way to sort of put money into a lifeboat, send it into the future, and I hope the world that we find there is one we want to live in. It's Bitcoin. It is still ridiculously experimental. It works, but it is ridiculously experimental. It is still a small community. The development community. Community is even smaller. There is real risk here. You know, this is not something you can just tell people, you should put your money into Bitcoin. That's not a responsible thing to say. I think it is responsible to say, based on the data, you should put some of your money into Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. I mean, in a way, it's more of an indictment of the state of everything else. It's an indictment of the economies in all of Western nations around the world. It is the fact that we have now been pushed to invest in such a risky asset because we have to hedge, you know, just as individuals watching what's going on, you can't just sit here and do nothing. We are in a world where the craziest, riskiest experiment might actually be the safest thing.
0: Bitcoin is the shame of the traditional financial system, and it's not surprising that people cannot, at an emotional level, accept it. Halleck sent in 10,000 sats, but no message. Thank you, though, for the support, Halleck. Thank you so much, Halleck. Adversary17 sent in 5,000 sats. Hello, gentlemen. I'm getting ready to start my stackin' sats journey. I have a node set up, and the next step is to get a Sparrow wallet created. I'm having trouble deciding on if I must absolutely go full security mode with a computer that is completely dedicated to this purpose on a separate VLAN with firewall rules created so that nothing else on my network can chat with it. A man after my own heart. (laughs) Is this too much, or should I start out with using my main desktop PC and start heading the full Mm. security route later? Now remember, he's just starting to stack. So I think if you're just starting to stack, especially if you're on a Linux system, I would consider making a separate user, Bitcoin, Satoshi, choose the name you like, and installing your Bitcoin software there. That at least provides some separation From processes that you do in your daily life, browsing, clicking on links, you know, that user and the Bitcoin stuff in that other user folder is going to be. It's in its own
1: home folder with its own permission. So like the browser can't just read that file.
0: If you get an infection, if something's scanning your hard drive, it's going to be harder to see your wallet. Now, I also recommend, I think when you begin, it's okay to have a hot wallet on your computer with this setup. But we are entering a bull market, so it might make sense to get a hardware wallet. That does add more friction to using it. You have to sort of figure out how to sign transactions, and that's an extra step.
1: But I think you also save the complexity of needing, like he's talking about, like this dedicated, secure computer on a VLAN. You don't need that right. with a hardware wallet, exactly. in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Because that you know that transaction isn't happening without the consent of that hardware wallet. And you could do with like the cold card, you could even do an air gap setup if you want. Um, and it's pretty straightforward. They'll walk you right through it. But I think don't overcomplicate it at first. I agree with dad, separate user account and run Sparrow out of that. Don't mix the two. And then when you get to a point where it's like, this is life changing, I'm going to be really sick to my stomach if I lose this money, that's when you probably want to start integrating the hardware wallet. I think one thing that I learned is I needed to kind of date around. I needed to try a few wallets before I was really going to commit to Sparrow. You may already be committed, but having, having a hot wallet, which is, you know, a couple thousand sats in there you can play around with, lets you learn without losing any serious amount of money. And I, I think then you go from there to the hardware wallet as you really increase your stack.
0: And if you want a few desktop wallets, you could try. You might try Sparrow, Spectre Wallet. Mm-hmm. Electrum is the OG, though I can't really recommend it because goddamn Electrum, my fing Bitcoin. Yeah.
1: I am I'm not yet at the recommendation phase, but I've been monitoring Nunchuck for about ten months, seeing what how their development process goes. And one thing I do like about Nunchuck, and this is this is a question I get from friends and family that are thinking about doing Bitcoin. You can have a Nunchuck desktop wallet and you can have a Nunchuck Nunchuck mobile wallet. And people, like, especially during price hikes or price crashes, they like to fire it up on their mobile phone and see what their stack's worth. Uh, I don't recommend that, but Nunchuck seems
0: like a pretty solid wallet to pull that off. We also received 5,000 sats from MCKR with no message, but thank you very much for the support. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, thank you everybody who boosted in above the cutoff and below. We really appreciate all the boosts. We had 10 total boosters, not bad for a little bit shorter recording window while we're still here in El Salves, And we stacked a total of 130,201 sats. This is a value-for-value value production, so if you got some insights or value or you think we're helping you sort things out and what's coming up? Coming up in the world, send a little value back our way with a boost. Get a new podcast app at podcastapps.com, Fountain, Podverse, very popular in our crowd. Castomatic coming in on a strong third. And then there's the folks that just want to keep their dang podcast app and they're using the podcast index to do that. You get Alby at getalbi.com. You top it off directly or somewhere on-chain if they're allowing transactions at the moment. And then you head on over to the podcast index and you can boost away from their website, same with the Fountain FM website. There's more and more websites where you can actually just boost from the web using Albi. We appreciate all of you. And a shout out to Bob B, who also sends us a reoccurring boost. Thank you, Bob.
0: This has been the Bitcoin Dad Pod, recorded in person, San Salvador. On the rooftop. Bitcoin country. Can you hear that wind? Can you hear that city? Can Take I'm it a- in. It's beautiful. I've been your Bitcoin Dad, and I'm here, as always, with me, Chris. See you back from home, everybody. Thanks for joining us.